0: Head to MikeReinald.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reinald Show, we talk about set rep schemes in the rehab setting. We talk about the SI joint and we talk about becoming a specialist. The Ask Mike Reinold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up here at Champion PT and Performance in Boston. I'm up here with Lenny McCrina, Dave Tilly, Dan Pope, Mike Scaduto, all the therapists here at Champion PT and Performance. We're here answering your questions, bunch of great questions. I feel like the last, like, big slew, the last month or two, there's been some... Really good question. So you guys are good. Lots of repeat ones from some frequent uh, listeners or watchers or whatever you you do with this. Uh, But awesome stuff. So big student crew here today for the summer hair champion. So um, lots of people to introduce, but... Matt Kelly from Dalhousie University in Nova (laughs) Nova Scotia. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Uh, what's your name? Uh, Travis. (laughs) Travis (laughs) Steph from the University of Kentucky, and Lexi Malone from Simmons college in uh in boston so it's very good i college universities get me every episode they're changing uh, so we need to just i <laughs> right they change right used to be bentley college i know <laughs> We're gonna, i'm gonna put something up right there that lists everybody there anyway awesome questions who started up travis yep
1: cal from san diego
2: cal kyle oh kyle, kyle. sorry kyle
1: dear mike i am currently <laughs> at DPT school I have a stronger background in strength conditioning. It is my understanding that a very rough way to break down repetition ranges and associated intensities is to say low reps for strength and power, mid reps for hypertrophy, and high reps for endurance. When rehabbing an athlete, when do you start to break down your program into these repetition schemes?
0: I like that, great question actually. So set rep schemes and what that means in terms of like different qualities of what you're producing. Uh, Mike, why don't you start, so Mike, Mike's obviously recent grad PT, but strength and conditioning background as well, uh, so I know you get those concepts. What do they teach you in school about that? That's what I'm
1: kind of curious from your perspective. Uh, not a whole lot, we learned basically you know what Kyle said in the question, uh, lower reps for power and strength building and then higher reps for endurance. Um, I took a sports conditioning class, which basically just goes through the um, CSCS textbook, and oh, wow. there wasn't a whole lot more than than that in there. Than the I don't think. so. I think it's not covered um, very well, and most of the stuff I learned, I learned from the strength uh, coaches here and talking with you guys. I think. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's definitely more of
0: a strength conditioning thing. But that that's so maybe there's a big hole right there. Yeah. and We talk about that a lot in some of our
2: stuff, but it's like, you know, the you know how do how do you do that in the rehab world? What do you think, Dan? Well, I think um, I would say you want to get back to that as soon as possible. Because <clears throat> so I think we do periodization programming of all of our rehab too. So it's not just getting back to strength and conditioning. Our rehab is periodized. And we program all that stuff. I just think the issue now is someone has pain. So for the athlete that's trying to get back to a sport, I want to try to get them to do as much as they can to maintain every attribute they do have for their sport while they actually have the injury with modifications so their pain levels are going down, down, down. And as soon as you can get to the point where you start ramping back up again, I would start, Right. Um, So A lot of times we have these very specific guidelines on when you can start to introduce certain movements. Honestly, I tell people we want to get you back as soon as you can. Let's go into this session uh, thinking to be cautious but don't stop at a certain point just because. Uh, We want to make sure that we're progressing as fast as we can back to um, the person's ability based on the assessment and the actual injury they do have yeah so.
0: makes sense Dave what, what kind of set of rep schemes do you use in rehab I know we all use it in strength but what do you use in rehab yeah
3: I would say I mean I agree with Dan I think there's there's two layers you have to consider when like your reps are set so one is the time of the rehab like Dan said on periodization like obviously you're going to like strength based in your weight but also is the time of the athletes in the season and then you get to really consider their sport their competitive periodized season if, if someone comes to me and they're in the middle of their season getting ready for the biggest meet of the competition I'm not going to like take a big month block and try to build strength. I just got to kind of get them wherever. So So what does that mean for set reps? So I think that like a lower amount of volume in somebody at a, at a maintaining their level of intensity and not kind of spiking too high or too low would be three to, I don't know, three to four sets of eight to 12 for strength. And like, if you're someone's more power athlete, I might go under like three sets with a longer rest interval of like, you know, 10 to 20 second bursts. If someone's a longer season athlete like soccer, it might be time domain. It might not be sets reps at all. It might be under a time window of like a one to one ratio for aerobic capacity. It might be like a one to four for higher, a bouts. It really is. It's, it's what they want to do. If they're an Olympic lifter, it's completely different than someone who's a soccer athlete. Yeah.
0: So, so good point. I, so, I, I think, you know, t- taking a big step back with the question, I think, say, like, I, I started this, like, a couple of years ago. I kind of started spewing this on, is it a word, spew? Spew. Spew. Spew, spew. Yeah. I kind of said it a little Pretty weird. She yeah. <laughs> starts spewing this on uh, on social media a little bit, just like the whole, like, there's more than three sets of 10 for physical therapists, because we see people that literally are just doing three sets of 10 for six months after, like, ACL mm-hmm. reconstruction when they come to work with us in the gym, and we're, you know, we're we're blown away by that. I, I think the concept of two to three sets of 10 in rehab is so popular because the 10 is like a nice generic set rep scheme that gets a lot of qualities. It gets strength, it gets, it gets you know, returning, you know, the muscle back with some, hyper hypertrophy a little bit of endurance. I mean it's a it's kind of a good mid-range, right? So it's popular for that. But remember the difference like Dan said is that pain, you can't load them maximally. Yeah. So you doing sets of five in that environment, you're you're not loading them enough to get a benefit of five. So you need those more reps. And then you, you, you might not be able to do 15, 20 reps or something like that because you might start irritating some of the tissue again with, like, too much rep in there. So I think that's why PT's three sets of 10. But we talked about a lot of different set rep schemes with these guys here and these, these concepts there. It's There's a lot out there. It's about when to transition, and that comes with loading. So it's not, it's not not you can linear load for months and months and months and probably be super successful with three sets of 10. But I think the best approach where we take a champion with our guys is that we add kind of a dual type periodization program where we'll do compound exercises that might be at one set rep scheme, but then we do other accessory exercises that might be at another one, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, we'll kind of put those, those, those two together. But at first, we're three sets of 10 because you kind of have to be to get a treatment stimulus, and you can mix so.
3: them too. You can have someone power three by five, and someone does a superset in between, which
0: is more 12 15 for smaller muscles. Yeah. yeah, mix it. I think that's the way to go. I mean, with, with most everything, so tons of periodization out there. I, I I want you to explore that. We talk about that in some of our our educational programs on the Champion website, where we where we talk about our systems, where it's about these advanced uh, set rep schemes. But you know th- that concept's there, I guess. So. Uh, it's good that you're thinking that, but uh, you know, you know, just it, it's it's all about the load. I would say once the load can go higher, you can manipulate the set rep schemes. So, nice. What do we got, Matt?
1: All right, uh, Tyler from Maryland says, "Hey guys, love the podcast, and I'm a frequent follower. Throughout my career interaction, I've discussed the topic of SI dysfunction and malalignment. Many PTs differ in opinions on SI dysfunction and malalignment, and many doctors, especially, note that SI issues do not exist." Through my research, i found correlation with SI dysfunction, alignment issues, and instability. What are your thoughts on the prevalence and reality of this diagnosis, and how would you treat
0: it? Great question on SI. It's funny. like There's a few diagnoses or whatever out there where you literally have some people that say it exists, and some people say it doesn't even exist. Like that's pretty crazy. Like variety of opinions, right? Like to say like something doesn't even exist. No some things that come you, know? Yeah, right. You know, it's like it's it's super interesting. And I I see. I mean, uh, I, who knows? Maybe these things are just overdiagnosed at one point in time. So then people start saying we're overdiagnosing. But to say it never exists is such an aggressive stance. Mike, what are they teaching you about SI joints right now?
1: Um, again, pretty minimal. Uh, we learned a couple special tests, a um, couple joint moves for the SI joint. Um, do they talk about the prevalence, or do they talk about does it exist? You know, I I think my professor that taught our uh, our spine class basically um, was big. Into, she was a big manual therapist, and I think maybe um, she had a bias towards believing that SI joint pain was the cause of a lot of low back pain. I mm-hmm. think so. That's kind of how you. we were taught. Yeah, I feel like it's that was popular. Sure, that was, it depends that? on the population you're seeing. You're seeing yeah. Yeah. Uh, the you know right. female type. Uh, pregnancy, you know, pregnancy, pregnancy type thing. stuff, yeah. then maybe. Yeah. Right. It yeah. seems like there's not a lot happening I, at the SI joint, right? I, I, I
0: feel, mean, feel like a lot of people started saying, like, well, I mean, the asset SI, look, it's so rigid. Look at how, how congruent the joint is. Look right. at how, like, tucked in it is right there. And that makes sense when you hold up just the model from the ground. That actually makes perfect sense. But then the second you just, you rotate your pelvic bones, which are not completely, you know, rigid, you know, they're not fixated. It's the second you do that, you see how, like, an, a sacrum can actually, like, torque a little bit. It, it makes sense to me that something could be there. I'll say, I've personally had SI pain. I really think I did. I didn't know what else it was. And it's very characteristic with how it feels and where it feels. Um, and I actually had an MRI, and I had a bunch of inflammation on my <laughs> SI joint. I have no idea why. Like, you know, and, and just went away on its own. But so, I think it exists. I just, you know, perhaps, like, everybody just likes to say that. But, Dan, what do you think, in your
2: experience... I guess like SI stuff with the kind of the advent of pain science, the idea of what the SI does, how everyone has different positioning, the validity of testing these landmarks and trying to figure out their SI problem. Um, We've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, at least a little bit. I think we've kind of decided okay, SI joint is not important whatsoever. Probably is a bit important, you know. Whether or not getting a rotation back to alignment is that important, I'm not sure. I think the issue comes where people think about this alignment problem they have. And it follows them through the rest of their life and they always feel like they're out of alignment, you know. Right. So one of the things I try to do is just try to educate people. I'll treat an SI joint if I feel like it is something that's limiting someone. A lot of times they'll feel better afterwards. But I'll just try to educate them and say, it's okay if you're not in complete, perfect alignment. If this, you know, it's not like it falls out and you're going to have pain for the rest of your life. Um, so it's I think it exists I'm not an expert on it um, but the other part is that I feel like we can't just say it's not a problem right
0: whatsoever. and I don't think we'd ever treat just the SI right. joint you're going right. to treat the pelvis you're going to treat the, the hips you're going to treat the lumbar spine and thoracic spine you know so yeah. I don't know.
3: I'll just throw on that I, I did spend a lot of time going through like very specific like right on left left on retorsions in my outlook I thought that was a big part of my teaching when I was younger and I just don't trust my hands to assess it to be honest like I think the research is pretty well provided like it's really hard to detect So if it is changing, but my personal thoughts is that the SI is a huge amount of force transmission and there's massive ligaments and soft tissue and a lot of force that goes through your glute to your low back. And I see a lot of people who have SI pain like in that area, but I think it's much more soft tissue, like, you know, huge muscles attached from your paraspinals, your QL dips down there, your higher glute, like there's a lot of stuff going on. I think SI area, yes, but like torsions and malalignments, I don't know if I... But I say I treat a lot of soft tissue there. I've, I've seen someone who uh, subluxed their SI joint on a sled. They went up on a sled and landed and like actually dislocated their SI joint. And they were in a wheelchair, so. Get an uh, x-ray of that? Uh, no. Kind of want an x-ray of that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was crazy. That'd be crazy. That's yeah, a, she was she was sitting in two person sled, and the person landed on top of her. Like they but I think that it shows you that's
1: what it takes. You need high force, high yeah. energy force to do something yeah. substantial. to The SI joint.
0: <laughs> that's still goofy.
1: And so, <laughs> I, that, <laughs> one in a million. <laughs> I and mean, I take a similar approach as Dave. If, if there is, you know, the, the, I think the pain source is probably going to be more soft tissue related, <sighs> and uh, just kind of dive into that and just reassure them, like Dan said, and just load them. You know, to me, it's just getting them comfortable and loading yeah. them.
0: Now, I mean, our treatment system and philosophy here is that we always we always care about your symptoms and that, but like we're looking at you more holistically and how well you move and right. and just the rest of your body. So, I mean, I, I think it's silly to say you can't get symptoms from your SI joint. I think that's crazy. Right. But I think Dan's right. I mean, I also don't think people's SI joints are going out. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of challenging <laughs> you know, to do. We got one more. Lex, what do we got?
1: Jordana from Tel Aviv. Oh. Greetings. I'm wondering... What are the thoughts on specialists versus generalists? I work in a school facility with students, general students, student athletes, and teachers. Obviously, their needs are quite different. Should I focus my energy on being an expert with athletes and give a cookie-cutter workout to the rest? Gracias.
0: Uh, Gracias. Gracias. De nada. Um, So... The, the part of that question that got me is should I focus on, yeah. uh, focus on the athletes and do cookie cutter for everybody <laughs> like, now? I, 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 I hate to be working out there. Uh, um, I, I, I'm a fan of specialization and I think we're actually building a bit of that model here at Champion where we want specialization. Um, physical therapy is a really big and, and strength and conditioning and training. that's a big field, right? It's really hard to be good at everything. Um, I think you should be adequate. I think, you know, especially that model is pretty easy easy to say you can write a good program for a general pop client you know but but i I see how you want to specialize in athletes so i i would just say i'm very pro specialization i want to be really really good at one thing instead of vanilla at everything
3: Yeah, I think that there's two layers to it. I think that you can focus on a certain area, like you with baseball, you with gymnastics, but I think that the best mentors, like I think you guys included, have an open mind about learning kind of all fields within that. You know what I mean? Like it's not like you're only working with baseball players and listening to one or two people. I think some of the most innovative people grab information from like the next ring of fields around them and put it into their sport like I did that with gymnastics in the shoulder with you guys like I got a lot of information from baseball and I just kind of translated it to CrossFit gymnastics or whatever and I know people have done that for other running sports taking it from the running research and put it into soccer so I think you can specialize but I think if you keep too narrow of a mind on just your sport, you're, you get blinders on and you lose a lot. So just a little devil's advocate. Uh,
0: Mike, you're generalized, right? You just graduated with a PT degree, and that's designed to make you generalized. What are, What are your thoughts on specialization at this point in your career?
1: Well, a couple, couple weeks ago, I was just studying you know, cardiopulmonary and uh, very, very broad, but not very deep in knowledge base. And uh, since i passed boards, thankfully... I was super excited to, like, dive headfirst into orthopedic injuries and stuff that we're going to see here. So, I mean, I think it's super important to stay. Um, you have to determine what kind of population you're primarily seeing here. We see a lot of athletes, and then kind of go into the research uh, on that. I think what we learned in school and the board exam only covers, you know, about 5%, if probably less, of what you need to know to work with these people that we see here. So it's up to you to kind of dig dig deeper and and learn from everywhere that you can I think that's a good way of saying it too like you know dig deeper
0: on that I would just throw in one other thing too is that uh, I I totally encourage you to work on what's what's passionate to you right it's just it makes life and your career more fun and stuff so Um, Awesome. Anyway, great episode. Good questions as always. Head to MikeReynell.com. Click on that podcast link and ask us some questions. We get a form there you can fill out. We'll answer anything you guys want to talk about. Head over to iTunes. Please subscribe, rate, review, anything else you can do. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll see you next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynell.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question.